The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. What's going on, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers, episode 103. At the end of the episode, we will have a short story from 25 Perfect Days. Today's is 4%, which is one of my favorites, one of the first that was published. But even better, we have a very special guest today. He is the host of Causing the Effect, Scott Gazzoli. Thank you so much for coming on today. Brother, my man, Mark, thank you so much for having me, man. I'm doing wonderful it's good. Glad, I'm really glad to be here, man. That's awesome. Now, Scott, tell me a little bit about yourself before we get into the podcast. Um, just tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're at, um, and then we'll get into why you even started this podcast. Absolutely, dude. So uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit about identity, and you know, I would say there's different identities of Scott at the moment. There's podcasting. Scott, we'll talk about him. My, um, I was brought up in the in the finance space as a as, a, as an adult. So I went to, um, you know, St. John's University. I got double degrees, uh, economics, accounting. Got my MBA. Was really flying through the the hedge fund world. Um, Quickly realized I don't fit in that space to corporate. You're working 80 hours a week. It's, it's nuts. Um, now I run my day job is um, advising ultra high net worth individuals and families, really being a problem solver for them. And that really, I wouldn't be able to run that business now without having that experience. So I try to look at everything like it's a big positive and, and more of like a learning experience. So that's my day job, do the podcast. And then I'm a comedian by night. Comedy has been the identity I've always wanted and was always sort of embarrassed to move into um, as a kid. I, I dealt with tremendous stage fright as a, as a, you know, first, first day in high school, I never had a problem doing it. And all of a sudden I just got super nervous around people talking and it really, it messed up, not messed up my career, but it definitely hindered me from opportunities. So when I turned 30 last year, I really wanted to like attack and become the person that I meant to be and that I really want to be. It's kind of like the point of my podcast is to push the true being of who you are forward. And um, that's kind of what the journey I'm on. It's not easy. And that's it in a very long and short story. That's awesome. Now, comedy, man, that is one thing that uh, I got so much respect for. That just seems so difficult. I don't think, I mean, I, I, I'd probably rather try comedy instead of singing, but either one of those things. Um, yeah. So what, so what made you interested? Like, what was the first when was the first time that you knew you wanted to do comedy? So when I was 13 years old, this is, this is why it's so crazy because people see me now, it's, it's 15, 17 years, years later, but I was watching Cat Williams, oddly enough, and I was just like, dude, I want to do that. I was like, this is, this is the coolest stuff. And then you always grew up around it, you know, Sebastian Maniscalco, I'm a big fan, Bill Burr, all these, all these guys. And I was just always scared to, you know, I thought it didn't fit with what um, the world wanted, what, you know, with the perception of what was being successful. And that I would say um, in my twenties, I was going by the, the classic, um, you know, what I thought my family wanted. I was making money in a hedge fund on paper. It sounded great. You're making money working with these ultra high net worth individuals. I was married by 27. That's like when I wanted to be married by, I unfortunately got divorced two years later and it just all felt, it never felt right to me. And, you know, going through this experience was very eye opening because it's like, you could be a little bit 
of, of everything. And for me, I was always very black and white. And now this year I'm really realizing like balance is the key for me. And, um, a lot of men, you know, you see a lot of hedge fund guys, a lot of doctors, they're, they're putting 150% into one thing. And for me, I feel a lot more color and a lot more vibrancy from 80% of four things or five things. And that's, it's tough to balance, but I love it. And now we're trying to do a little bit jujitsu. So we'll see when that comes to. So that's cool, man. And and I really like that approach. Um, I try to do that with my life. Like I've been trying to teach myself guitar. I've been trying to teach myself German. I've been trying, you know, doing wow. all these things. I'll never become a pro, but I was like, that's cool. I, they make me happy. So, you know, it's like, why not do the things that are bringing you joy instead of the things that you are supposed to be doing, you know, or what you think you're supposed to be doing. Um, so that's super cool. Now, being successful, you know, in the business world, was it difficult at all for any of the times where you didn't do so well on stage? Uh, you know, was, was, that a, was that a blow to your identity or do you just accept that that's just part of the deal? So it's still, it's still new. When I say comedian, I've been trying it for, so thir- 2020, I started doing this. So I'm still okay. very fresh in the world. And I would say it, for me, that's, you know, this is something I'm, I'm trying to work and I'm realizing like I, even with the reason why I went down that path to begin with was because I was looking for external validation. And that's something that I'm trying to move away from. And even now it's like when you're doing comedy, the laughs are your external validation. So you're still looking for that, but doing comedy in New York, it's very competitive. It's a, it's, it's, it's a different space than like doing it. And, you know, I, I'll go to Jersey, not, not long. I go to Jersey sometimes to do open mics and like feel more like the King. Cause you're, you're just out here with killers, but it's like, it's like being in, in a jujitsu class, right? Like you have to learn to really humble the ego. And that's still something I'm learning. Cause there's been breaks in between with COVID, but um, you know, to answer the, the question of like identity, it, it's still for me. And this was like the story of my life, right? Anytime things got difficult, I always, I, 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 everything always came easy to me. So quick, another, if we go before the hedge fund, four years, um, high school, I was uh, a blue chip, five-star college athlete, uh, signed my letter of intent to go to central Florida, playing football, big 260, 270, loved football, the crazy oh, wow. white kid hitting everybody, blew my ACL, um, should have done everything the right way, rehab this and that, but I quickly got deterred, found, found a, uh, an external source of, to let the aggression out. I became a death metal drummer, something that's again, oh, wow. very surprising to people. So we, we got a bunch of guys, you know, leopard, we do jamming leopard, Messiah, jam, metallic, all that thrash from the eighties. That was like my bread and butter. And what, what happens? My, you know, we all, we all became very good, start doing a couple shows. And the second it got tough, we all bailed out. So like, I feel like this theme and in, in, in your life and everybody's life, there's probably themes that we all kind of see. And I realized this, the same thing happening in my mid 20s. I said, I'm not doing this anymore. So like my podcast, my, my comedy career, like these are things that I really put a lot of thought into to tackle. And like, that's the, the what I'm realizing, I'm sure you agree. It's like, it's just about not quitting anything. That's like the, mm-hmm. the biggest deal. You know? Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that's huge advice, man. And I've been there so many times I've, I've self-destructed. I've self-sabotaged. Dude, I had another podcast and I had like 113 episodes and then I just shut it down like without a word. And like before doing a launch of my MMA book, I completely disappeared from all social media, just like just self-sabotage. Uh, and there's a lot of other stuff going on. Um, but uh, yeah, no, but it is. Just what was the reason? Just- what was the reason for, for, for ending that podcast? Um, it was real. Like, I think I was just going through a bad depression at the time. I got tired of it. Um, I think I fell away from, and that's what I'm realizing with this one too. I fell away from interviewing people. I I used, I had a buddy that I used to do it with. So we would talk all the time and I would talk with fighters and different people. 
And then I started just doing it on my own. And that was super boring. And that's what I was doing with this podcast. Lots of times I was just talking about my life and blah, blah, blah. But um, now like the last couple of months, all I've been doing is interviewing people. And I realized that's what I enjoy. Like when I went around the country and interviewed fighters, man, I realized I wasn't enjoying it just because there were fighters and telling me the story. It's just because there were other people sharing their story. And I was like, Oh, that's super cool. And I don't know. I, I enjoy hearing other people's stories and, yeah, and man. how they got there. And I'm the same way. I think in the beginning, it's always hard of a podcast. And anybody who's listening, who has one, you just got to keep grinding. And like, I remember people in the beginning didn't want, you know, we don't have content on your Instagram. Nobody wants anything to do with you. And now we're on top 25 people like reaching. I'm like, listen, man, I hang out with the people who are there from, from the beginning, but you were, you were interviewing MMA guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, really uh, cool, man. Yeah. It was fun. Cause dude, I could never understand why I fought. Um, and no one, no one else could either. Cause I was, a, dude, I was a shitty fighter. I wasn't a good fighter. <laughs> uh, and that's after coming out of Brown, you know? So people are looking at me like, okay, Ivy league guy, not a good fighter. Why is he still doing it for no money? You know, very little money. Um, so that's why I did the sociological study and I interviewed, uh, like 400 fighters and coaches. Dude, that's all. Yeah, bro, it was very interesting. I was looking at your LinkedIn. I was doing a little creeping on my own. I saw Brown, author, and then an MMA fighter. So how did that all? I'm gonna turn the interview, become the interview for a second. How did that all happen? Like, what was the what was the progress? Did you start doing MMA and then you became an author? Uh, kind of the same time. I was doing lots of short stories at the time I was trying to fight. Um, and dude, I was uh, working like I worked at a prison graveyard. And so any break I would have, I'd be writing. I, I try. I used to try to find graveyard shifts so I could write, um, you know, instead of actually working. Uh, but yeah, it was a uh, it was it was interesting, but it was man. Right now I'm working on a book on traumatic brain injury. So I'm going back through all those times again. I'm realizing just how many of my decisions were made from such a bad place, you know, because dealing with all the traumatic brain injury stuff, uh, all those symptoms. Yeah. That, that did a number on me. And, uh, it, you know, I, I, that's one I was going to ask you too, hearing that you played football, uh, like how many, did you have many concussions? Did you have many, even just, even just like, uh, having your bell rung is essentially oh. a concussion. Yeah, dude. I was like that kid that if you saw me on the field, you'd be like, this kid's the biggest asshole in the face. Like I was screaming. It just was letting loose. Of That's kind of what led me to the drums, but oh, tons. And they would always ask you, are you fine? I'm like, I'm, I'm always fine. And that was like the dumbest thing ever. But for me, I do think it probably some anger. There's been obvious, we all have issues, right? Probably some mm -hmm. anger problems have stemmed from that, but that's why I've really delved into more spirit, spirituality than anything else. Cause I, again, when, anytime I went through something serious, I always dug into a bad vice gambling. My father's a degenerate gambler, uh, drinking alcohol. Like when I was in that hedge fund space, I was more put on, you, I would go out Friday nights, not come home till Sunday. It's like, what, you know, looking back, it's like, I'm sure you can look back at the fight and Chris, some pieces you did like now, I think we, I'm sure you've heard like Max Holloway. He's not, they don't spar during training camp anymore. You're going to mm. see this happen more just because like we're at, not only is this sport, uh, you know, kind of it's changing all these sports are in football. They're learning more how to kind of take care of yourself. But how many fights did you have? Um, probably 10 ish, like around 10. And, and then I do, I also tried boxing professionally with no amateur experience. Um, and I was, that's where I got a lot of my, my, my brain just scrambled. Um, cause I do, I, I got, I moved to Vegas because I was trying to fight some MMA. I was a big, you know, I was like 260, 270 at the time. So you're fine heavyweight. Yeah. Tough guy. And then, uh, so they moved me to Vegas. They, they, they're like, Oh, you'll be the next white hope. And, uh, but that, so I was sparring against guys that were 13 and 0, 17 and 0, and I was just getting my ass kicked. 
Um, and that was with no, like I had never boxed uh, amateur and I had like 10 rounds of sparring before my first pro fight and it was terrible. So, uh, Bro, so yeah, I commend- I, I've been, um, I've made some bad decisions, uh, but as long as you it's all led them, to right? this, you know, and the, and the same thing with you and, and your bad decisions or whatever else I was like, man, that's, that's why you're doing this. That's why you're doing your podcast. So, um, what I would love to hear, like, so tell me a little bit more about the podcast, why you're doing it and kind of like, what have you gotten out of it? Dude. So I, you know, I- it's funny when you start something, you don't realize like how big of a part of your life it'll become. Right. And I always had this, this problem. And we spoke about it a little earlier, like finding the the true version of myself. And I just always felt like there was like, this is me, Scott, that you would see. And it was like, th- there's always these different versions. And then there was like this little voice in my head just being like, eh, why are you saying that? Why are you trying to be this other person? I quickly realized it's driven by fear and being wanting to be accepted. And for me, uh, my goal the last couple of years was to really remove the fear, right? And I, I, I've realized just being this version of myself, being the comedian, the making a little bit of money, and then doing um, the podcast is the, the truest version of myself. And the effect it's had on me is, is so rewarding. And the, the, the point of, of my podcast is to really, on a basic level, let just let everyone be able to become the embodiment of themselves and whether it's exploring a new aspect of the mind or a new aspect of the body. Those are the two things I try to combine. So on Mondays, usually it's been, I'll have, you know, we did start with a lot of spirituality work, but in reality, how much could I talk about, you know, mindfulness, meditation, understanding how the psychological side of it works. We have some neuroscientists on and Thursdays. I'm a big fitness guy. So I'm up 4am every morning. We're in the gym three hours. We're, we're bodybuilding. We're, we're powerlifting, doing a lot of good stuff. So I'll have those types of people on, on Thursdays. And it's been really interesting to see people come up, especially in Brooklyn, like these young kids. And just even when you get an email, like I didn't realize that, um, you know, jujitsu, like I had um, the biggest jujitsu podcast on, um, on mine, Ryan, shout out to Ryan Ford and the grappling podcast. And just hearing like a kid be like, wow, I'm going to pick up jujitsu, like just by changing the Egyptians called it um, the logo. So like, look at it like in Western civilization, we are focused on particularly men. We love power, money, success. The Egyptians looked at rationality as the king. And that's kind of like what I always felt in my soul. So just by being able to bring awareness to like just people to let them think for themselves and realize that being the true epitome of what you are will make you more comfortable and remove those, that ego, remove that, that anger. Like for me there, I've been so, I, I don't, my cousins think I'm a different person. It's just like, what am I doing? I'm doing my, my mind work when I wake up. I do my body work when I wake up. I do the podcast. I make a little money and I do my passion of comedy. And it's like, for me, I've never felt more fulfilled in my life, especially like coming, coming out of a divorce that could be pretty tough. Mm-hmm. Really, it's been, life is just like, it just keeps going up, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, do you know, do you know why you were angry? Why you had different issues? Is that an important part of, meditation and becoming this new person, is it important to know where that stuff came from and to address it? Absolutely, bro. So like the, the first step when people like I'm, I'm talking about, like I was a kid, I was like a Brooklyn tough guy, man. Like I couldn't, mm-hmm. I, I would, would never been, I never thought if you asked me when I was 20, like I'd be this guy. I would never expect it. So I'd say the first step for people is just getting comfortable with the feelings that pop up. And surprisingly, 
I see it, but everybody, nobody can really just sit. I, I, don't, I don't tell people meditate. I say, call whatever you want. Just sit in your bedroom for 10 minutes with no phone. Just see what happens. <laughs> and those things that pop up will just start really changing. And um, my cousin, um, he's probably around your age, older guy, 35, 40. He was a trained uh, Buddhist, spent 10 years in Thailand, very into the heavy me meditating. Gave me a book um, called Mindfulness in Plain English, which was about a, um, you know, a Wall Street guy who was having a nervous breakdown, ended up training in mindfulness and it just helped him. And that's kind of what happened for me. And I started to realize where the anger came from, where uh, jealousy was another problem I had with women. Um, and then that, that wanting love from people. And I feel like I was the same person I am on the, I'm, I'm the same guy. I was very genuine. I was very into what people wanted, but I just felt like I did it because I wanted to be loved. And now I do it out of a place of like, I want to give the love, which is beautiful. But for me, you know, it comes back to um, my childhood. So, you know, I don't know if uh, anybody comes from a divorced, um, you know, kind of household, but that's where I came from. And it was very different for me. So I'll give you the long story, Mark. So buckle up for this one. So my dad uh, left when I was five or six. And that was the story that my mother said, your dad left and he didn't want anything to do with you. Right. That was, it was part of the truth, but it wasn't, she was, she, she was hiding the real truth for a good reason. So what happened was my father was involved in um, the drug cartel. So he was involved with buying and selling cocaine and, and giving that deal. So he would take me uh, over here in Brooklyn, right by the Brooklyn bridge, like the warehouse where we sold coffee. He wasn't selling no coffee, Mark. Wow. So my dad got clipped by the FBI, had to go change his name. So he left me with the name Scott Cazzoli, this motherfucker. So he had Scott Cazzoli senior. I was Scott Cazzoli junior. And just like, I think, from my readings, like if you don't have a, a steady father figure in your life, and I had great, I have great male, male role models. You don't have that father to just be like, you're doing good, son. It just gives you that lack of confidence, that lack of worthiness that I think that does come from my problems. And just that's as deep as I want to go with it. Now it's so funny because like I'm still unraveling this. So like I didn't know that whole story until my grandfather told me my father ratted on my grandfather. My grandfather got out of jail three years ago and told me that story. It's wow. so like now, now I'm piecing the puzzle together, Mark. So it's very interesting how, um, you know, you still kind of figure out this, but like, for example, in my meditations, I would sit and I would just have this weird, I would have this weird, I thought it was like a dream that the FBI took me from my father. And I was like, that's just like a kid, you know, and my aunt, told me that last year, like you, you'll, you won't believe what happened to you and your father. Wow. Like that's the day he left. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm fully in this meditating stuff. And that is the beginning of my story. So a lot of different versions of me and a lot of shit I've went through people like the fact that I made it this far, Mark, it's like, it's all, it's all a plus man. <laughs> Dude, that's, I mean, that's what I tell people all the time. Uh, someone told me the other day, oh, you're going to live forever from all the healthy stuff you're doing. I'm like, man, I was like, I'm just happy. I made it this long. I thought, 24 was the year that I gave myself. I was like, I'll make it 24 years. Um, and dude, I was suicidal from like shit very early on most oh, of my life. Man. Um, just hating myself. And I think um, we have a lot of similarities. Um, but yeah, it is interesting to go back and try to figure it out. Um, Where did yours come from? The, the, um, um, mine came from, uh, perfectionism, uh, not a really loving household. Like my, my father never said, I love you. Mm. Um, he loved us. And like, now he says it all the time, but like, he never heard it from his dad. Um, and it's like, but once you start to understand those things, man, like, that's what it is. It's like, okay, once you, yeah. So 
I, I got over a lot of that stuff, but so much of it. Um, and then really, I think a lot of the blows to the head, man, that's when I started going to the deep end and that's, uh, you know, more and more anger, more and more destructiveness, uh, breaking the law, a lot of that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, downward spot, downward spiral for sure. Yeah, man. Listen, I've been there. It's it, I think it, you look back, you will look back and it should be like, it, 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 you do. I think seeing how dark your life can get is, is a good thing at points because then like where you come is almost so much better. And like you said, perfectionist, right? You would never be as good as you were if you weren't a perfectionist, right? So you got to right. find that. Ba- and that's like my problem. It's like, I'm used to being so good at everything. And like comedy, I suck. I'm like, I had a dude, I, I had a bad show yesterday. I was so upset all day today. I'm like, what am I, what am I like? What am I upset about? Like, you know, you just try to take like a different approach and just be grateful for like how far I've come. Cause like, honestly, from beginning of last year, me getting in front of people would have been the biggest step of my life and then it's like you just slowly raise the bar a little bit so Mm. a lot of similarities man that's pretty pretty crazy um you know what since you're here i'm going to use you to my benefit because right now i'm actually so i'm almost done with my brain book i just did a chapter on breath work uh how important that is uh this chapter is on meditation and i'm not feeling it man i'm like i'm i have such a hard time you know, and the same thing with the breath work, having to actually just put everything down and just simply work on breathing. Like every Tuesday morning, I do it for an hour and 15 minutes mm-hmm. and uh, it includes some meditation. So it's a good experience overall. Um, but I think there are a lot of guys like me that have a hard time just sitting still. I, I, I could do yin yoga as long as I'm doing something and I'm something. bringing meditation into it. I'm good. But just sitting there and trying to just meditate is quite difficult. So what would you say to someone, um, you know, is if you were to give them anything, would you just be trying to tell them, you know, mindfulness and being present? Is that one of the big keys? Um, you know, like you said, just simply sitting there for 10 minutes without your phone. And I think the other big thing is most people don't want to listen to those thoughts. They don't want to hear what's going on really inside them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so what, what advice would you give to someone like me that is having a, a hard time with meditation and like, what would give them the most bang for their buck? Sure. Sure. And, I, and again, I was there. I did. I, I sat there with it. I think the first thing is being able to have this conversation with yourself, right? Just being like, I don't want, like, you have to look at your weaknesses and really be able to stare at them straight on. Like I let the, my stage fright, like handle my life for 15, 16, 17 years. And, you know, I think people start out of a, point of self-development like that's why i started meditating but you gotta be able to look at it and be like okay where what is going on here where is my weakness like you seem to be very like dude you're right there like you you know where your weaknesses are you've done a lot i could just tell you put a lot of thought into this and like Mm -hmm. if people don't do that you're not going to be able to do it because like it's different but from that standpoint let's say that we've gotten to, to mark's level then for the next step just like like i said with the 10 minutes i would say make the goal be then we're going to do 10 minutes. Then the next time I do it, it's going to be 11 minutes. Now, maybe you can't do it. Maybe however your, wherever your threshold is, it's like dieting, right? Mm-hmm. I would tell everybody to get a control, get a control level of like where you're going to be. So let's say in reality, you could bro, hit me up about this. We'll talk about it. Um, you could be like, I can only make it four minutes. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Next time I want you to do it five minutes. And it's just that slow incre- incremental. That's like a little psychology, self-development help thing that I learned about doing it. But now the the, the other piece is like, what kind of meditate now? I, there's so much spirituality nonsense out there. And it's like hard to figure out. Like, this is the problem I have is like, how much should I do? I'm going to do mm-hmm. breath work. I'm going to do meditation. I'm going to do, 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to do so much breath work. I'm going to jump in my deprivation tank. I'm going to do cry with it. It's like, let's just take it easy. So like for you, what kind of meditation were you doing or are you doing? Uh, mainly mindfulness. Um, the, what, what I actually like the most is when I'm listening to my Yogi, I just do these tapes. Uh, I'm actually going to be interviewing him next month. Um, you know, or DVDs or whatever. And mm -hmm. it's the messages I'm getting while I'm breathing, while I'm in this relaxed state, like those seem to hit me really hard. Um, and also when I was doing breath work with my buddy, it was the guided meditation after I'm done with all of the breath work, you know, and my body's recovering. It just seems like my body is primed and ready to accept, you know, whatever messages. Um, mm. but for me, it seems like guided meditation has been the most helpful. Um, but again, you know, usually like every night I'll, I'll smoke weed, I'll go into my sauna. And then before I even do any kind of work, like I'll spend 10 or 15 minutes just sitting there breathing and thinking, you know, and, and going over my day or whatever else. Dude, you know, I, that's, that seems, that's where that's dude. And that's where I probably get the most. Cause then I, the first thing I do is I go and I talk to my wife and I tell her, Hey, sorry about earlier. And I tell my kids like, Hey, daddy was kind of asshole right then. You know, you didn't mm -hmm. deserve that. Um, no, sure, man. but that's where I do probably, that's probably, that's probably my meditation, I guess. Okay. Oh, well, first I do this every night. I, I, I have to earn it every day. I have to earn my, my, my little, I could say it now because New York is legal. It's, oh, that's it's right. Legal. I'll take it. So every night I smoke eight o'clock and then I jump in my, I, I don't got the sauna like you. I wish I got the sauna blanket. Um, but really what I would say, people tend to think like the counting the breaths or doing um, the classic Buddhism yoga of just the breath and counting to 10 works the best. Stay, that's more like a media, look at that, like the, the next level, like what you're doing is, is a good, it's a good start, the guided meditation. Mm -hmm. And the first step is like listening to somebody, but then the next step is removing the, the take the, the words away, then just do the music. But for you, I would try to figure out what the problem is, right? Is it more being antsy or is it not being mindful? Because for me, my problem is I'll sit there and do it. And when I'm all, if my mind is going like this, it's a waste, right? And, and for me, I'm trying, if you're a perfectionist, like I know you said that, it's like you're trying to get something out of it and you're trying to find something. And the point is not that the point is to let go. So it's really about like sitting there as long as possible and like looking at like a fight. If you want to look like whatever it gets you there, whatever your, your, your thing is, look at it like a fight. And when the winning is when you start feeling that, that release now for the shit you've been through, for the anger you have, for the CTE, all that stuff, it may be a little longer, but if you sit there, dude, I'm telling you, it will come because I used to sit and I was just like, it's, it's not hitting. It's just, I, I'm not built for it. And my cousin said, listen, just, it's, it's a muscle. Right. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I, I'll send you, you know, who you ever heard of Joe Dispenza? Oh, I'm actually reading becoming supernatural right now. Great. That, that is the book that drove me to get to, to this level. Oh, and awesome. I, yeah. And I'll send you um, his, you can just type it into, but um, I do his, um, his meditation three times a week. And what he's, he's figured out what he's doing is taking ancient, yoga and, and old ancient meditations and putting it like more of a modern spin on it. And really if his approach is, um, and this is like how everybody should take meditation is like first to be, he makes you become mindful. Have you ever tried any of his meditations? Um, I've been doing his one where um, like the very first step about seeing the future. So I've been, I've been playing with that one okay. um, about getting my, uh, you know, my, my short stories into movies and TV. I'm actually meeting with a producer today about it too. So it's, it's shit's working. Dude, it's weird how it works. I'm telling you, it's, it's very, I don't know the, I don't know how it, how it works, but, but the first step in what he'll do, and I'll send it to you. It's like 24 minutes, not that long. And you could pick one for 13 minutes too, but the first couple minutes is um, called the body scan, which is just him going, okay. Um, 
he does it a weird way because he says he's trying to put you in almost like it's, it's almost a, a hypnotherapy, which oh. could work too. And I, I also dabble in that. But the, the, what I'm trying to say is the it's a body scan just to become aware of your body, which is just very simple. Because if you're sitting there, instead of trying to breathe, because for me, when I started doing the breath, I'm like, what am I trying to do? And just having a goal of like, I'm just trying to be aware of my body is the first step in that. Then the next step he tries to get you to, to really feel what you're feeling. And I think for, for me, that's always a problem because I'm very analytical in my mind. I'm sure you are too. Mm-hmm. You want to really like get, just let the mind go and just like feel what's going on. Maybe it's like for me, anytime I'm having anxiety, my pressure starts here. And that's all I, I just deal with a lot of anxiety. Um, and it always starts here and just being aware of that and like almost embracing it is Make, it's very paradoxical, right? Because I'm telling you, like, walk into the uncomfortability, mm-hmm. and then the com- the uncomfortability lets lets go of itself, and then you could start feeling empowered. But I would say the first steps are, are body scanning, feeling, really understanding, being aware, mm-hmm. then feeling empowered. Those are the first two steps. Then you could start manifesting and and doing all that that deeper, deeper stuff that like. I try not to get too deep into the woo-woo stuff, but like mm. just by letting go, letting go is the first step to abundance. And that's like in your process of getting this producer meeting, I'm sure in some way you let go of something, whether it was the fear you let go yeah. of the, of this, of this, I don't know, whatever it's t- for 10, it's, it's tension, whatever type mm-hmm. of feeling. Like some people have it manifested in anger. Some people manifest it in like me, it's just pressure. And when I feel pressure, I just explode. Um, and that's where I would say start. And bro, hit me up, talk to me about it. Cause like, this is like my favorite thing. Like I have all these kids in Brooklyn, like these tough kids who are just meditating. I'm like, I love this. Like, this is, this is like what it's about. It's just, you know, and, and the, the point for everybody listening, like don't get too deep into anything. You know, like that's, that's what I see. Cause then, you know, somebody will read the spends and be like, well, I'm going to man, I have cancer. I'm going to like, maybe you could, but like, just go to the doctor and like, don't, don't overdo it. You know, I try, I try to be very objective and like not jump too much into everything, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, dude, that's awesome. And huge sign. Like, that's just crazy. You, you recommend that book while I'm reading it. We didn't talk about it. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. And then, and yeah. then his his one before that, breaking the habit of being yourself, um, is wonderful as well. I do think the the becoming supernatural, like honestly, like that will convince you, at least somewhere deep down, like this shit will work because he has the brain scan set up in that book. He will like it, it's really unbelievable. And I went to um I went to one of his, um one of his uh, super weekends, and they sit they 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 put you in your you know your thing and they do your brain scan stuff works. It's really wonderful. And then the other thing I'll tell you, have you ever heard of a, I'm sure but you went to Vegas. I'm sure you know the, you ever heard of a deprivation tank? Yeah, what I do tank? those. Dude, that changed. I used to, so when I was married, now I'm in the apartment, whatever. I used to have one in my house. Oh, wow. But I think that shit every morning changed fundamentally, like how I work. Cause you probably feel like, a, I feel like a feather when I come out, it's like mm-hmm. a different thing, you know? My problem was I would not do them very regularly because I I don't have one, so I'd have to go you know drive forty minutes and then go through. Oh, the whole and that's thing, the problem. It. Yeah, and it's expensive, right? It's, mm. it's for me. I'm like eight dollars a pop. Like I want to do this every day. It costs me six thousand dollars. But yeah. just even even for me, I'll now I'm on like twice a month. I'll go reset. And I think that's the other part of this is like just maintaining your stuff. So I keep Sundays Sunday afternoons like my day to just like, what's, what's going on this week? Like what goals, like just to be, not be too intensive of like a goal setting Sunday, like some life coaches would be just be like, how was last week? How was this week going? how did you feel? What'd you do? And just have these conversations with yourself instead of like going, because that's like very New Yorker. Like I'm just running all the time. It's like, 
very chill. That's why I was so happy we're doing this today. Cause I was like, oh, this is because like this is for me, like this, I think this what we're doing is gonna end up being like podcasting is such an underrated form of communication now. Just having two real guys, like you're obviously a tough guy. Mm. I'm not the toughest, but you know, I know what I'm talking about at least. So we just hearing this somebody hearing this and just being like, maybe we could help one person, Mark, like just one or two, and then those two people. Will help two people, and then it's like I don't like we like you don't realize nobody realizes like how much you really impact everything, particularly with technology, particularly in twenty twenty one, especially with everything going on. Right? No, dude, that's a that's that's an awesome point. Um, the, dude, I do it like I'm selfish. I do it for myself. I come out of these kinds of talks like I know I'm gonna be my mood is gonna be elevated all day long. I'm gonna right? be flying until tomorrow because of this talk. Um, but it, it is super cool. And that's one reason why, dude, I, I talk about all my, like I try to be as vulnerable as possible. Um, and I think it is good, you know, coming from bigger guys, tougher guys to be like, yeah, man, you should look at your emotions. You should look at, you know, like, I think that's huge. And I think that is incredibly helpful for other people to hear. And, and you know, that's part of this, right? It's just making it more, more normal. Like how we normalize mm-hmm. wearing masks, how you normally get a shot. Like, like I knew you were open. I knew I knew you'd be this, but I, dude, you're really like I could feel. I feel the sincerity, and I feel, bro. It's, it's really like that's that is like we we always say. One of my friends, Angelo, shout out to Angelo. He always said like everybody has their superpower, and bro, like that's your superpower, and like you you can probably make such a an impact in that MMA community because you felt it. But even you know any tough guys that boxing and you know anything bro is that is that a lot of listeners you have come from this space? I don't know anymore. Um... Yeah. Most of my readers, most of my readers are probably female, They're like 30 to 55. And, um, I have some males, but I, I don't even know who my listeners are. Whoever you are. Thank you for listening. Uh, yeah, thank you. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so sometimes they're jujitsu people sometimes. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, but I, yeah, I do like sharing that message though about, uh, yeah, it, you know, that's why I think your podcast is so awesome because, you know, that is your message. Mine is more kind of spread all over. I, I touch on things. Um, but yeah, no, I'm all like, I like being an open book. I, I do want people to, you know, realize that, uh, you know, I've been through some shit, you know, and that yeah, you can man. be happy. Like, I, this is the happiest I've ever been. Um, I want to ask you, have you... Have you ever looked into uh, neurofeedback, talking about brain waves and having your, you know, the brain mapped and everything? Because that's one thing that completely has changed my life over the last couple of years. So are you saying like tracking how your brain is doing on a, on, on a, on a kind of a controlled basis? Um, like I was actually going into this place called Vital Head and Spine where they, they map your brain. Um, I forget what the technology is. But I was able to see, like for mine, I was able to see that my whole uh, frontal lobe was severely underfunctioning, uh, and that I hadn't been getting deep sleep for probably like 20 years. So even though I was sleeping, you know, eight hours, I was not. I was never going into that deep sleep, so I wasn't recovering. I wasn't getting rid of all the waste. And so, um, so what they do after that is, you once they know where your wavelengths are or whatever then they can raise them or lower them to what they should be. And so you just sit there in front of a computer screen for like 30 minutes and they're boosting this one and they're lowering this one. And, um, but the changes are incredible. I actually just put my mom through it because she, she hadn't been, she'd been having terrible sleep for so long. Um, her sister has dementia really bad. So I knew my mom was headed down that path. And so we sent her in and like the brain map and the IVA test, which tests attention and focus, um, 
showed that she was very, you know, she was pre-dementia. And after 20 sessions, she was no longer pre-dementia. Her sleep is so much better. We're doing another 20 sessions just because we know we could improve it more. But that is one thing that is pretty incredible, especially for guys that have had a lot of uh, traumatic yeah. brain injuries. Dude, I'm kind of upset I never heard about this. This is like, I've, I've had 90 episodes. Nobody t- talked about this for oh. me, bro. Dude, I should. I'll put you in touch with uh, my doctor, uh, Doctor Lakata. He's awesome. So. Oh, bro, please, because that sounds. I'm just. I'm, I did a quick Google. It's it. it the science is here. Teaches self control of brain functions. Wow. Yeah. That's my, so cool. Dude, my, my I had my daughter do it. Uh, got rid of her anxiety. Knocked out her anxiety. Helped her sleep better. Uh, she didn't have to do that many sessions. Um, but it's pretty pretty amazing stuff. So yeah. Uh, wow, dude, I gotta look at because that's basically the reason why we we meditate. The reason why you do it. We were talking about this to calm down. It's to move from. Do they talk to you about the levels of theta at all? Theta, mm-hmm. beta, delta. Yeah, same thing Joe talks about. But like getting to that theta state is always my goal. Like in life, to feel like flowy and almost like that that um, that twilight is like that's where the creation that the creative brain meets the analytical brain for me. And it's like, that's where I want to live. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really cool. Do please send me that info. Cause it looks like it's an effective treatment for, for depression and yeah. just something really f- like very, you're very, you're living in 2050 over here, brother. Yeah, no. It, and I was, you could even do it from home for a while. When, so when the pandemic hit, I started doing it at home. I ended up getting a little bit tired of it. I just needed to give my brain a break. But it's pretty amazing stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Although you have to go to someone that actually, I forget what the percentage is. Out of all the places in the country, maybe only 10% actually do the brain map. And so you would need to go to someone that does the brain map that's no, you know, and it's not just like simply guessing. Some therapists just will, you know, they'll amp up different brain waves based off of your symptoms. Uh, but you want to have the science behind it and uh, all that. Absolutely. Yeah. Dude, and even like you knowing that though, I'm sure that that just helps you. Like when something happens, like, okay, well, this is from this, or this is from that. Like, that's a lot of, of the point of like reading a book or getting knowledge, just yeah. like make stuff, you know, easier. I, and I was able to forgive myself a lot, man, because I realized like, oh yeah, this whole, like I have no impulse control. So whenever I was mad at myself for, you know, playing a game after I just swore to myself, I would never pick it up again or play it. I'm like, oh yeah, I had no impulse control. Like it just wasn't there, you know, but now, now I do. And so that's no longer an issue. And so I was able to forgive myself for a lot of past behavior um, and just understand myself better. So yeah, that is a, it's another cool technique. Um, Next month I get to do a whole bunch of psychedelics. So now, now you're talking, man, I got, um, so again, my cousin and I, uh, we've been growing, we we grow mushrooms and um, that first, the first trip I did last, uh, we did, when my, my ex-wife was like, imagine living with a 1930s at old school time when she thought it was terrible. So the second I got divorced, I did it. And that opened something else for me, dude. It was just like, my mind told me like your answer, like balance is the key. Like I saw the yin and the yang a lot, the black and the white. And it was just very random because it was me and my, I have, I'm very lucky because I have eight guy cousins that are all between 18 and 38. And we're like, we're brothers. And we always have go up to our house in the Poconos and nobody's really a big drug person, but we all did it. And it was just like this experience that we will always dabble with. And now I keep them in, um, we crush them up, put them in pill form. And for like a little bit of inspiration, you'll take them and you'll kind of, you know, it takes you, it makes you feel good. But micro, like if it was up to me, I would microdose every day instead of pop. And now I'm going to do, cause pot, you know, you can feel a little tired the next day when you wake Mm -hmm. up, but like I'm the mushrooms, they're literally created from God because like you can't get high on them two days in a row. It's crazy. Yeah. They're actually made that way. So like they're built 
for an addictive person like me to not <laughs> I'm sitting there, I'm stuffing my face with mushrooms. It wasn't working, but um, no, that's great, man. So wait, how is this like a clinical thing or is this? More uh, a- not really. I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to do it, record it, write about it. So it'll be in my oh, final chapter man. of the book. Yeah. So um, yeah, after meditation, uh, the next chapter is all psychedelic. So I'll do uh, well, part on cannabis, but then shrooms, probably some LSD, uh, DMT again, which is awesome. And uh, ayahuasca. Yes. Have you done ayahuasca? I haven't done ayahuasca, but did do DMT, which is, yeah, it was I, most I did, beautiful ever. Yeah, dude, I did it. We did it. He made it. For, my cousin's like fucking Walter White. He made, he made it and we did it for the first, we did one time and we're supposed to do it again in the summer, but you know, COVID. Um, and man, there's really, there's, it's really like, eye-opening because for me it was like all of this shit was true like there is a different dimension like there's something else going on that we just don't peripherally understand like we're ants compared to Mm. that and dude i went up and like all these the jesters the green guys they were just like stop putting so much pressure on yourself like just relax scott i was like this is crazy and it was like i felt like the the tank all this shit I was doing was like preparing me for that. Cause that's what they told me. Like, you've already done this. Like you've been here. Like, don't, what are you freaking out about? It's, it's such, mm. it's crazy, bro. And these, you know, people look at the stuff like it's such a, like a, like a you're going you're gonna to destroy yourself. It's a drug. Not, it's actually helping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And that's what I, that's what I want to show. You know, it's like, I, I always struggle with that too. Cause I'm very open about cannabis use. You know, I've been using it for 32 years. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to glorify it because there are some bad aspects to it and everything. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of hard to find that middle ground to find that balance. Um, but I think that is, you know, that's one of the things I really want to get across to people with the book is like, okay, look, I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you. I'm showing you what works for me, what doesn't work, but you need to figure it out on your own. Just here is the general idea of different things that you can attempt. Yeah, I think it's just the 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 biggest part. With even with all this stuff, with mental health, psychedelics, like just removing this negative connotation with it, and just like not saying even give it a chance. Just don't judge people, and that's another one. Remove judgment. Just don't judge people for doing it. Because I not that I ever looked at it like a bad thing, because I was like always addicted. But like you know, telling my mother, well, I smoke pot. Like when she came or smoked pot, she freaked out. My mom, get over it. Like you know, it's not the. Listen, it's it's mm. it's either like, and this is, you know, going to be a problem now in New York where people legalizing pot. But you're gonna have to accept these things, and it's all been marketed in a certain way with propaganda to make us not do it. And it's like, what's when I've drank an alcohol, the worst things in my life have happened. When I oh, when yeah. I've smoked pot, the worst thing I've done is like had another Krispy Kreme donut. It's like what. <laughs> Like what has been the problem, you know? And L- do DMT? I don't think I could move. I, my body left. I, I wasn't yeah. even here. I was on a different realm. Yep. No, I I, I was right there with you, man. Uh, that's super cool. Um, there's something else I was going to ask you. Damn, I can't remember it. Uh, oh, with exercise. Okay, because an exercise definitely huge for everything. Just overall yeah, health. For TBI, that's one of the main things that they recommend for you know to help the brain. Um, but I think a lot of guys, especially guys, my age, uh, have trouble sticking with the program. You know, maybe they heard you talking about, you know, being in the gym for three hours. What would you recommend to someone, you know, do they just need a a couple days of getting their heart rate going? What, what kind of, um, what kind of exercise would you recommend for someone that's, you know, say in their forties and having a hard time even getting started? Absolutely. Yeah. It's we're creatures of habit, right? The same thing with meditating, like people, like people think fitness is one certain thing and whether, whatever, whatever it is to you is it's not to me. Right. So what people go into to a thinking is it's 
lifting weights. Well, what if you don't like lifting weights? So I, I would say to somebody, try a number of different things. Um, for me, I just, I was doing like normal hypertrophy training and that didn't really click with me. I have to go all in with bodybuilding and mind muscle connection and all that stuff. But maybe somebody wants to play basketball. Maybe somebody wants to do, you know, it's about having, it's coming back to that conversation with yourself to really understand like, why do you do this? Like, what is your why? Like if you're trying, I think somebody in your forties probably, you know, we're not trying to look good at this point. It's probably just to feel good. So I would say if you want to feel good, the only way you're really going to feel good is by getting the heart pumping, right? Um, if you're a man in your forties, you're probably gonna have responsibilities. So you're going to need time. I think hit training would be, um, you know, the, the best bet. 15, 20 minutes a day would work. Um, mm. For me, I, I really enjoyed like my, my love. Now I've started boxing this year. It's like, bro, I love it. I can't get enough of it. And I think that's more of an innate primal thing, fighting, hitting the bag. It's not too scary. Um, so I would say just keep trying to, to find what works for you. And don't, again, don't put pressure on yourself to have these results, but you have to understand this balance of like, you have to be consistent. You have mm. to be disciplined. You have to be eating what's right. Like, all my cousins are in their 40s. Everybody's getting a little belly, Mark. They're all getting a little belly. And it's like, guys, what are we doing here? What are we doing? Um, and that's that's what I would suggest because it, the same, as much as we spoke about the, the mind, the body is equally important. I just feel that it's easier for everybody to jump on the, bo- the body wagon, you know, on Instagram mm-hmm. and then looking good six pack. Like I tried to get as much mental work in every day as I do for my body. Like they really should be equal. Probably the mind is probably even more important than the body at this point. Right. You know? Awesome, man. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to keep you, dude. We could talk all day. Uh, but yeah, this, this has been awesome. Uh, dude, this has been, dude, you're, you're a great guy. I love, I love your, um, the, your, your artwork. Uh, oh, for the thanks. Books. It has like an Iron Maiden Megadeth yeah. feel. Is that what you were going for? Dude? Oh yeah. That's all, all the, all the fonts. That's, that's definitely what I love. Maiden is what I grew up on. That was the first thing I listened to. First band I listened to. No, I'm a huge heavy metal guy and uh, so, and lots of my, I, I, let's see in Messiah, they, uh, they, they slam to, uh, Slayer, Angel of Death. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so some of the books start off with, uh, oh, I think 25 Perfect Days starts off with Slipknot lyrics, uh, Machine Head lyrics to kick off Bright Side. So I, I include heavy metal as much as possible in my stuff. Oh, dude, I got to read your books. This is, this is amazing. Yeah. People get all thrown off from me. Cause I'm like, listen, if I'm in the club, I'm going to, I'm going to jam some Drake, but like my, my passion, like dude, I went to 18, 19 different Metallica concerts, different States. Like we were, those guys changed my life. And it's like, some I thought about getting back into just picking up the drum, even drums are hard when you have a part like the, yeah. the guitar and just riffing a little bit. Um, are you still playing? Um, I'm, I've just been teaching myself over the last year, year and a half. Uh, so I'm terrible, but, uh, <laughs> I, but I love it though. It's a lot of fun. And again, like, that's what I tell myself. Like, eh, I'm not doing this to get perfect. Like I'm just, I'm having fun. I'm enjoying it while I'm doing it. And I know it's good for my brain. So exactly uh, getting that, yeah. that creative side working. Cause that's like something I feel like I've been missing. Like even the other day, like it just popped like Metallica players popped on. I'm like, shit, man, you forgot about Metallica. How, how did you do this to yourself? Scott, you went to, you went to, to hip hop. And I was like, you know, this, it's all about this balance, right? You got to find the, what works, man. But no, dude, this, yeah. Well, hit me. Sorry to cut you off. I was going to no. say with heavy metal. Uh, Cause that's one thing I think, I think you do have to be careful of what you are ingesting, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I find if I'm listening to too much of it, I might find that my heart rate is going a little bit more. Maybe I'm getting a little bit more aggressive and I just have to be kind of aware of that. Um, do you 
think about that at all about what you're ingesting, what you're putting into, you know, what your environment is. Oh yeah, bro. So like, it, it's, it's weird. Right. Cause I, with, like my feelings went very much like with, with the music I listened to oddly enough so from 18 to 22, I was angry, bro. We were, we were death metal. Like, and my guy, my, my, my two best friends thought they were, um, thought they were Kirk Hammock. So they were stacking two Marshall half stacks behind me. And it's like, guys, what are we doing? Like, we're trying, like, we're in my house. We can't, we can't do this. <laughs> but that got me a little angry. And then after the, the band, I listened to a lot of, I don't know if you know who Rise Against is. Mm. Rise Against is a little, I love them. My favorite band of all time, but they're very like, feel bad for yourself. And I felt a little, I was like on that track. And then, you know, I get divorced and I'm listening to Drake and now I think I'm the fucking man. Like, and it's like, I think, I think music really, really embodies like how you feel. And it definitely helps. That's why you, again, if you're aware of it, you could listen Mm -hmm. to little Metallica. Like when I do my last PR set, we're putting on Metallica. When I want, when we're starting off, I'm doing a little Drake. It's it's like people can't people get so confused by my music because you would see you would see my my thrash in my 80s. You would see Drake. You would see classical for when I'm doing my my mind work. But again, it's all about just being and trying all these different things because like it's okay to listen to everything. It's okay to to be a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I think like that's what we're seeing is like right now. I feel like the the country is very much in like groups. It's either blue or red or black mm-hmm. or white or this. Like I don't. I don't even play that stuff on my podcast. We don't talk about politics because I really hate, I tell people even before they come on, like let's not talk about groups because I want to know the individual I want. Mm-hmm. And that's how I always treat people. And I think it's the same way you are. Cause I can feel it. And I could, I was heard, I was hearing it in the podcast. It's like, if we all took that approach and just like spoke to each other, like, like you could, Mark could, fun, could be a victim off mm-hmm. of his story. I could be a victim off of my story, but what do we do? We're trying to be men, mm-hmm. pick up our, you know, tuck your shoulders back, listen, listen thoroughly and just help each other. And that's like, what you're helping me. I'm helping you. I feel it now. It's like, this is, this is what everybody should be doing. It's just the, the social media, the, 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 the news they're trying to get us. They want us to, to fight each other. And it's like, everybody better wake up because you have Russia, yeah. you have China, you have other people who want us to lose. And it's funny. If you look at the end of the Roman empire, the end of the Greek empire, the one similarity that gets me nervous is um, where the, the last 20 years, they were switching genders with each other. And that is what's starting to happen here because everybody's starting to lose identity. And I just hope that this is like the muddied waters of it and people will end up coming out of this and the next five years, next 10 years will be individuality and finding the commonalities between us instead of the differences because all of us are 80% the same, man. Just because you're, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's sad what's going on. But this is like, I really think we're at the forefront of, um, we're, we're in this this weird spot, right? Where people seeing what's been going on with politics like we're all being played in this game, right? Then you have the spirituality all coming to fruition. You have consciousness being spoken about in science. Mm. This is all going to be an interesting time to like really be like, wow, I, I went through this shit. Like people, people shit on me for my generation. Like you guys are weak. I'm like, listen, listen, you, you put me through two financial crises. Yeah. You gave me a crazy president in Trump. Listen, I, I don't like any of the presidents, but you put me, I'm like, I've, I've been through enough of my shit. Like, and then social media. And, you know, uh-huh. it's um, it's interesting, but I think conversations like this is like how you have to slowly change the same way how you grow a podcast, right? You got to get a couple listeners every week, couple listeners every day, and that's like the way I look at it. When I'm like, when I'm talking to clients, when I'm talking to people, like the the reason why I think I'm so successful in my day job is like there's all salesmen. I'm just not a salesman. Like I really don't care about making money, and all of a sudden that's you get money. It's such a it's the paradox we were talking about earlier, man. You see you see the pattern everywhere you go. That's awesome. Well, yeah. dude. 
thank you again for coming on. This has been awesome. I'm, uh, I'm pumped. Uh, and yeah, uh, I think this has been super cool. Where can, where can people check you out? Uh, so it's causing the effect podcast. I'm guessing that is everywhere, right? That is everywhere. Yeah. I'll link you up. You have an Instagram, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'll link up on Instagram, but everybody check out causingtheeffectpodcast.com. Just type in causing the effect. You'll find me. Um, yeah, man. And just anything I could do to ever help you, anything you know you need from me, man. This is we're all in this together. And that's like that's the, the real point of, of life, I feel like. So that's thank cool. you, brother. Thank you. All right. Um now I guess we will go to the story from 25 perfect days, four percent. Thank you guys so much for listening. Scott, thank you so much for coming on, and I will talk to you guys later. Four percent. June second, twenty forty-three. Man, it stinks. Julio Ortega smiled at a six-month-old niece in the car seat. Was that you, Vanessa? Maria took her eyes off the road to glance at her brother in the rearview mirror. It's all the meat processors, she pointed. That's Farmer John's over there, and up here on the right is Bristol Farms. The whole area smells. So why'd they bury the DMV all the way back here? Julio asked. Enrique, Maria's husband, said, I'm sure part of it was the cheap cost of land. The other... We're here, Maria interrupted. She pulled their beat-up Buick into the parking lot and said, I'm just glad they only handle licenses. Enrique, do you remember how long you'd have to wait at the old DMVs? It took hours just to register this thing. Julio said, How would he know? Enrique turned in his seat and glared at Julio. I've been to the DMV before. Maria shot Julio a look in the mirror. Drop it. Julio kept quiet because he lived in their house. If he ever got his own place, he'd tell Enrique what he thought of him. Maria shut off the car. Julio glanced out the back window, amazed at how large and intimidating the building was. It's awfully big for a DMV. He unbuckled his niece and took her out of the car seat. Maria wouldn't allow him to carry her today. He understood. Outside, Julio gagged on the stench. They all gagged. Jesus, that shit's terrible, Julio said. Language, Julio. Maria acted as if the smell didn't bother her, while covering Vanessa's nose and mouth with her blanket. Julio hurried to the entrance and held the door open. A steel wall separated the employees from the public. Maria and Enrique moved past him without a thank you, and stood in line at the second of three dark-tinted windows. Figuring they wanted to be alone, Julio found a group of empty seats and took it all in so he'd know what to expect when he came back on his own. Three lines were a lot fewer than he'd imagined. Nothing like the stories. The longest line, labeled forfeitures, was closest to the employee entrance. Four couples were in front of Maria and Enrique in the renewal line. The last line, which only had two guys in it, was for new licenses. Both boys looked about 18, the magical number Julio had to wait one more month for. These guys were nervous, moving their jaws back and forth, one of them chewing on his lip.
On the other side of the wall, Julio noticed one last window. This one had no glass, and it was waist level, much smaller, roughly the size of the TV they had at home. He didn't see how anyone could possibly have a conversation with the clerk on the other side of the wall. There wasn't anyone in that line. An electronic display with the number 27 hung above the window. Another display loomed above the door he had thought was for employees. Enrique and Maria were next. Julio glanced around the hushed lobby. Over a hundred people, yet it was quieter than church at communion. Only the occasional sighs and stifled sobs breaking the silence. The light above the steel door blinked the number 72 and blinged three times. An older man at the end of Julio's row stared down at the wrinkled piece of paper in his hand, and then back at the light. The man took hold of his wedding ring and spun it round his finger. The light blinged again, and the man struggled to his feet. Julio wished him good luck as he limped by. Enrique sat in the chair, two feet away from Julio, so Maria and Vanessa could sit in the middle. Who's he? Some old dude. You hope he gets his renewal? I hope everyone gets theirs. Well, not everyone can. Julio was about to say something. Maria jumped in. Look, mi amor. She handed a piece of paper to Enrique. Seventy-seven. Is that good? Maria rocked Vanessa and tried to smile. Seven's my favorite number. Good. Enrique said. He placed a kiss on Maria's cheek. Everything is going to be okay. You're going to get it. Maria held her baby close to her chest. Of course I will. Won't I, Vanessa? Julio looked at the ticket Enrique held. Why are there two numbers on it? I keep one half, and Enrique takes the other. Here. I won't need it, Enrique said. Keeping her voice low, she told him to take it. Enrique ripped off his half and gave back hers. The display blinged again, and the number 73 appeared above the steel door. A teenage girl wept in the front row. I changed my mind, she told the bald man beside her. I don't want to drive anymore. The man hugged her and whispered something in her ear. She continued to cry. The steel door opened, and two armed guards stepped into the lobby. The bald man helped the girl to her feet and walked her to the door. Her trembling legs buckled when the man pressed her onto the guards. I suppose you want her to get hers, too, Enrique said. At least she has a license to renew. Stop it, Maria said. I love both of you, but you need to stop fighting. Well, how can he talk? He's never gotten one. Neither of you, Enrique said. Julio was tempted to tell them how he'd been practicing out in the desert and already knew how to drive. I'm going to. Maria looked ready to slap him. Why would you do that? What's wrong with a bus? You don't even have money for a car. I start at State this fall, and I'm not even trying to take the bus down there. It'll take me forever and make it so I can't work enough. Enrique asked about Julio's bike. It's over 30 miles to Long Beach. So, Enrique said, 
It'd be good for you. Yeah, just like not having my license in high school has been good for me. You ever try picking up a girl on a tin speed? Maria pulled Vanessa closer. Well, some things are more important than others. Like family? Julio asked. She bent down and kissed Vanessa's forehead. Exactly. That's why I'm getting a license, so when I get married, my wife won't have to. Damn it, Julio, don't make me ask you to wait in the car, Maria said. Why can't you understand? I need a license for my job. If I can't drive, I'll have to take a job where I work twice the hours for half the pay. We can't make it on that. Plus, it only takes Enrique ten minutes to ride to work. Julio shrugged as number 74 blinked on the display. An elderly lady with a cane hobbled over to the steel door, stood in front of it as tall as she could. You know Enrique can't drive, so stop acting like he can. It's not his fault. He doesn't care, Enrique said. When I married him, everyone could get a license. They didn't have all these stupid rules. Maria shook her head. Dyslexia? Come on. Julio kept staring at Enrique, thinking what a coward he was. Maria looked at Vanessa, then Enrique. Even if they let him, I wouldn't. We're fine the way we are. Are you serious? Enrique's eyes were on the door. His fingers played with the beads of his rosary necklace. Drop it, Julio. This isn't the time. Whatever. Julio looked at Maria. I'm just saying, if I can't get my license, I'm driving without one. Are you crazy? Her shout woke Vanessa, but Maria kept going. Do you have any idea what happens to unlicensed drivers? If you get pulled over... She stopped herself and made the sign of the cross. A guy who looked a few years older than Julio rose from his chair when 75 blinged on the display. He defiantly waited in front of the steel door before the guards fully opened it. That was how Julio would do it. Like a man. Everyone was so worried about being in the 4% that got their renewals denied. What they didn't see was the 96% chance they wouldn't. Is that your renewal? Julio pointed at the wrinkled paper in Maria's hand. Can I see it? She handed him the sweaty slip. He pointed at the barcode. This is where they scan to see if you get the renewal. There's got to be a way to change it. I've got some friends that are really good with computers. Enrique said, it's a little late for that. We'll come back. They give it to you the day before your renewal date, Maria said. You can't change it. Enrique said, You think you have the answer to everything? You think I haven't researched it? You think I don't care? Julio shrugged. He handed the slip back to his sister as the display chimed. A middle-aged man headed for the door. Maria was next. It's only 4%, she said. I'll get renewed. Julio agreed. Only one out of 25 don't. I wish Vegas had those kinds of odds. I'd move there tomorrow. Maria chuckled. It sounded all wrong. Not like her at all. You've done this a bunch of times already. No big deal. Julio tried to preoccupy her mind. Asked her how many times it was for her. 
I started driving when I was 16. Back then, you only had to get renewed once every four years. They changed the law when I turned 19. So this is my ninth, I think. See? Julio said. Those are great odds. Enrique wrapped his arms around Maria and Vanessa. All three sat in silence until Maria's number appeared on the screen. Julio gave her a hug and wished her good luck. Enrique walked her to the door and came back with Vanessa in his arms. She'll be okay, Julio said. Thanks. Two more people went in for their renewals before Enrique spoke again. So why do you want to go to college anyway? Are you saying I'm not smart enough? No, no, not at all. I just didn't know if you know what you want to do with your life yet. College isn't for everyone, especially with no jobs out there. Shit, maybe I'll go into politics. I'll change this stupid law. Do you even know why they came up with the 4% regulation? Yeah, sort of. How are you going to fight to change? How are you going to fight to change it if you don't know why it exists? There should be exceptions, I know that much. I don't care what the reasons are, but moms and old people and teenagers should be exempt. Pretty much everyone. Well, at least mothers. What about single fathers? What about grandparents, who take care of an orphaned grandchild? There would be too many loopholes. Everyone would fight it. They'd all have good reasons. Oh, I agree, Enrique said. But that's not what they would say. They'd say if we got rid of the law, we'd be in the same spot we were back ten years ago. Freeway shootings every day. Riots. Was it really like that? I don't remember it being as bad as they say, but I know there was a time when it took three hours to drive from here to Pomona. That's only twenty miles. Exactly. Just four percent couldn't fix all that. Think of all the people who opted out. The ones who have never set foot in this place. Plus those who don't qualify, like me. It's still stupid. It is what it is. All we can do is pray. Julio heard the chime and glanced to see what number they were on. It was the display above the tiny window. Number 52 blinked three times. A man in the second row moaned. Ah, Jesus. We don't need to see this, Enrique said quietly. Enrique took off his rosary and looked away. Julio couldn't. The man stumbled to the window, holding a hand over his heart, saying over and over again there had been a mistake. The man put his mouth to the window and shouted, You're wrong. It's not 52. My wife is 52. Two small bags were pushed into the opening. The man's hands fumbled as he undid the string around the top of the black bag. He pulled out a silver watch and read the inscription. His voice cracked gently into the opening. Give her back. Give me back my wife. The man grabbed the yellow bag and threw it against the wall. The bag burst a cloud of fine gray dust floating down upon him as he fell to his knees. The steel door opened, and the two armed guards rushed to the man's side. They took him by his shoulders and helped him to his feet. Before they took him outside, 
one of the men grabbed the black bag and brought it with them. As soon as they were out of the way, a little man with a broom rushed over to the window and swept up the ashes. Julio told Enrique it was over once the janitor was finished. Enrique's voice wavered when he said, Thank God. He wouldn't look away from the beads of the rosary running under his thumb. Poor guy. The more Julio thought about it, 4% was a low number, but it was a real possibility. He had to remain optimistic. Maria would make it. No, mija, Enrique said softly. No, Vanessa, let's go. Vanessa had both her little hands wrapped around the necklace. Instead of brushing them off, Enrique put his hands over hers and whispered it was okay. Julio watched as the smile crept across Vanessa's face. It would be good to see her grow up. He'd even consider finding a closer college he could bike to. Enrique said something Julio didn't hear. I asked what was the number up there before. On which one? Above the window. Julio looked at the 52 blinkings on the display. I'm pretty sure it was 27. Why? The beads crashed to the floor, scattering everywhere. Vanessa shrieked in approval, but Enrique didn't seem to notice. Maria 77. So? It's random, right? I thought so. Enrique held up the number. But what are the odds? Of what? Enrique moaned, rocking back and forth with Vanessa. Oh, man, it can't be. I don't get it. What's wrong? She'll be fine. Seventy-seven, fifty-two, and twenty-seven. Increments of twenty-five. It can't be totally random. Julio told him to relax. They are taking every 25th person in line. Enrique handed Vanessa to Julio and ran to the steel door. Julio headed with Vanessa toward the exit. She was too young to remember any of this, but there was no reason for her to listen to her dad, pounding on the door, screaming and crying like a baby. As he headed outside, Julio wondered, how they were going to get home. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.